good evening. Hold on. I'm fighting this. I might be a little loud, Tom. Hello. <laughs> okay, so. I like queso. Who likes queso? So last week, uh, two weeks ago, last week Jeff spoke for me. I appreciate Jeff doing that. Um, how many of you here got to hear this week? Okay, good. I was in Texas. So two weeks ago, I was looking at um, John chapter 5, and again, the kind of the big picture, what is the, the grand, the overall grand scheme of what we're trying to accomplish here? What are we trying to do? What? I heard something. Listen to the Holy Spirit. What's, what's the, um, for what? What are, we, what are we individually, it's all going to be different, but what are we individually trying to get to? <laughs> you guys are you guys are bringing Sundays in. Don't <laughs> change perception, change a worldview, change of um, uh, change of a paradigm shift. That was popular ten years ago. Paradigm shift fifteen years ago. Um, to, to really to really think to yourself. Now again, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not trying to say um, that you have to have a worldview. Or a paradigm shift. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there are certain times in your life when you're going to have those things, uh, that you need to have those, where you're really saying, okay, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? What are you saying to me? And, and what does that, am, am I ready for that? Am I ready for God out of Scripture, not just out of um, some kind of um, spiritual experience or motive moment or something, which, which those aren't bad, but it needs to, that should spur you on toward getting in Scripture and saying, God, what are you really trying to tell me? Are you trying to get me to think differently? Because if it's not coming from Scripture, somewhere there's, it's, it's a little off, okay? Um, you, your, your feelings can lie to you. Your, your, um, your own ideas can be wrong. But Scripture's never wrong. And so when we're, when we're really thinking, okay, God, are you really trying to show me something? Are you trying to do something with me here? It needs to come from Scripture. So if you're feeling something, if you're if, you're, if something is just, you know, scratching at the back of your brain and, and you're knowing God's trying to say something to you or, or, or maybe there's a bunch of circumstances that seem more than just coincidental uh, kind of thinking and you're saying, God, what are you saying? You need to go to the Word. You need to get in God's Word and say, okay, God, I don't know where to start. Maybe you don't even know what, the, what He's saying, but begin to read through Scripture and listen to the Holy Spirit as you read through Scripture. So John chapter 5, oh yeah, Josh's parents are here. Hi. <laughs> Hi. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Josh's dad's a primo mechanic, so get in line. I don't need you anymore. So, so two weeks ago, we were looking at this man that had been... Um, sick for 38 years, and I think potentially, and we don't necessarily know the answer to this, just what I think, I think he was sick since birth and he's 38 years old, that's what I think, but that doesn't have to be, he could be 50 years old and was sick for, at when he got turned 12 or something, okay, so we don't necessarily know that, um, but he's been sick for 38 years and he's lying 
beside the pool here, and what is he doing? Waiting for what? Yeah, I assume it's the Holy Spirit stirring the waters. Um, yeah, it says angel. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll go with angel. <laughs> so it is an angel that stirs the water, but angels can't heal. And so I'm struggling with this whole thing. Angel stirs the water, but it's something... And again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Well, is it really healing people? Whatever. Here's, from what we have here, here's what I think Scripture's showing us. People are getting healed when they fall into the water after the, the angel stirs the water. Or they wouldn't still be there. They wouldn't be there year after year after year. And this guy's 38 years old, and he's been waiting on this for a long time. He's been sick for 38 years. We don't know how long he's been waiting at the water. But he's been sick for 38 years, and he keeps waiting. And... And people are getting healed or they wouldn't be there. That's, I, that's the conclusion I'm coming up with there. And so since, since an angel can't really heal, and it does say an angel stirs the water, um, or, or at least, let, let me correct what Gordon just said. <laughs> or, at least, or at least that's the perception of the people is that an angel stirs the water. <laughs> What says he? He says when I have no one to put when the waters bubble up. Sleeping mat, pick up the mat. Okay, he pulled up the desert, blind, paralyzed. Okay. So, but but we know that something supernatural has got to be happening here, right? I mean, right? Okay. So then the the discussion that we were looking at a couple weeks ago is Jesus walks up to this guy and says, "Would you like to get well?" And what does the guy answer? I can't. Did Jesus ask him, can you heal yourself? Did Jesus ask him, do you have anybody to put you in the water? Did Jesus ask him, um, what are all the options for your healing at this particular moment? No. And, and somebody said a couple weeks ago, it's interesting that he had put everything in, in, this, everything in this basket. He wasn't trying anything else. Now, that's not a slam against him because we don't necessarily know um, what caused him to get sick. We just know he can't walk. We don't know all the details. And so maybe he had, like the woman with the issue of blood, maybe he had tried doctors and done all kinds of things. We don't know that. But, but Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? What should have been his answer? Yes. All right. So now, when Jesus comes to us and asks us whatever the question is, do you want, do you need, what should be our answer? Yes. And, there, and there's where the conundrum lies. Is we, We're all over the place with that. We do the same thing that this guy does. When Jesus says something very direct to us. Um, I've seen this for years and years in, um, in like counseling sessions and things like that. And, there, and, and you see it in normal life too, but... It's not as profound in normal life because you're not necessarily pinning somebody down with something. But in a counseling moment, you actually are trying to get to a, a specific place emotionally, mentally, spiritually. You're trying to get somewhere. And so you, you're driving home a little bit more, um, a lot more than you would in like normal conversations. But it's interesting to me how many times I've seen over the years 
um, where I'll ask a question. Um, whatever the question, what, what color do you think this is? Well, you know, when I was, when I was first having the conversation, and, and, and 10 minutes later, they haven't answered, what color is this? You understand what I'm saying? And, and guys, if, if I knew some of the deeper stuff going on in your life, I could ask two or three questions and watch you do the same thing. As humans, we do this, horribly do this. This is the question, and we'll just run off on a trail, because if we answer the question, or not even answer the question, if we, if we appropriate the question, if we address the question, it's, it potentially could be very difficult revealing in our lives. Right? Now, um, I, I'm hoping you're just taking my word for that. I could prove it. <laughs> if we picked one of you out, but you would not be happy with me after two or three questions because we'd get to something and, and it would be like rubbing a, a sore. And all of a sudden, that hurts. Why are, you, why are you saying that? And then you'd be upset at me. And so I, we won't do that. But it's interesting how easy we... We divert ourselves, our attentions, our emotions, our thought process away from things that are actually challenging to us. And I've just seen this for years, how easy it is to answer a different question. How, you know, if, if uh, this is a question sometimes I'll ask in, um, in uh, marriage counseling. Just, it's, kind of a, it's kind of an early stages, you know, first couple of times we're talking together, um, just to kind of get them thinking and to, and to help me really hone in on, on not the issue, but where, what they're avoiding, where they're avoiding things. And I'll ask um, each one of them individually, if there's one thing that you could change in your marriage right now, what would it be? You know what they never answer? About themselves. They never say, well, I... Never, ever heard that. Now, eventually I will come back and say, okay, after that 30-minute monologue, what's something you would change about you? And it's like, yeah, I, if I knew what, if, if I was going to be changing me, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> We're changing them. But when you start picking away at that, what is something you'd like to change about you? What is something about you that needs to be different? Um, and guys, we could ask this right now. In fact, this is really interesting. We did this, something similar to this, um, um, at my house a few weeks ago with the, I'm pointing to Marshall because he was there, but the, uh, the young adults, we were talking about what's a, what's a major issue in your life. And it was interesting to me how quickly these early 20s, late teens, early 20s answered the question. And how seriously they answered the question. Because most of our conversations are just, you know, all over the place. And I said, so what's the big thing about, and they immediately just opened up their soul and said, these are them. And I'm sitting there going, wow, that was, that was interesting. That was quick. Um, that was healthy. The older we get, the less easy that is. We build up all these walls and all these things. And Jesus does a, a version of this with this guy. He comes up to this guy and addresses the number one biggest need in this guy's life. You can't walk. Do you want to be well? Well, here's all the things I need to tell you about all the stuff going on in my world. 
That's not what Jesus asked. So again, guys, I'm gonna, we're going to switch gears just a little bit here. But again, I want to I push this into our world. If Jesus really asked you the, the, the very number one question that you need to be asked right now, and I don't know what it is, and it's different for all of us, but if Jesus asked the number one most important question in your world right now, would you even recognize it? Would you listen to it? Would you answer that question? Or would you run off on all kinds of trails? This is, this is, this is the difficult stuff. Um, I remember this the uh, very first time I really began to assess some things in my own life. And um, <clears throat> Lynn and I had been married about Oh, 10 years, maybe. Maybe not even that long. Maybe eight years, something like that. And I really began to look at, um, trying to figure out how to say this without opening a bunch of stuff and then taking forever. But so I thought Linda, when Linda and I got married, I thought she was really, really strange. I thought she had a lot of weird problems. Um, And I thought she was, um, I thought she had a very unhealthy relationship with her parents. Because I thought she was spoiled, I thought her parents coddled her, I thought all these other kind of things. And, and, and you know where the, one of the main reasons I built that upon? Maybe Linda can remember this. What is one of the main reasons I thought your parents spoiled you and coddled you? Do you remember? No. <laughs> well, I found those out later. I found that stuff out later. That, that just reinforced. I'm like, uh, you had a gas card. She, her dad gave her a gas card, like a shell card or something like that. I don't remember what it was. And uh, he gave her a, a gas card so when she drove back and forth to college, she could fill up her gas tank. I know. How dare he enable her like that? Now, about eight or ten years into this marriage, I had this revelation one day. Um, and it was after I had kids. And I realized her parents were actually very good, healthy, normal parents. I was the, I was the weirdo. I was the one who had the issues. I was the one who, who didn't understand certain things because of my past and my uh, ideas and things like that. And so this was a big revelation for me. I know it sounds like the way I'm saying it obviously makes it, she had a gas card. It wasn't that big of a deal, okay? But to me, she just just a spoiled little rich girl. That's another thing I thought. My parents were way more wealthy than her parents, way more wealthy. Um, I don't want to go into all that, but, but uh I had this revelation. One day I'm sitting there realizing, wait a second, maybe there's some things wrong with the way I look at certain things, the way I look at marriage, the way I look at, like, shut that kid up, the way I look at life. The way, so, so, Josh and Liz, so Josh and Liz came up to the church today, and um, they were videoing some stuff, and so they put Tom Sawyer in my office, and... Um, and he was okay for a little bit, and then all of a sudden he starts going. Eh, 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 eh. So I'm thinking, I'm a, I've been doing this for years. I've been doing this for years and years. So I got out my phone, and I went to 
John Bonamassa's website, and I brought up some blues, and I showed him the video of blues, because when you're feeling that way, blues helps, right? So I showed him the blues, and John just, and immediately he went, I thought, I get you, feel that, just feel that for a moment, just let it go, let it roll. Okay, so, so anytime you want a babysitter, let me know, I'm good at this stuff. So where was, oh yeah, so I had to have a real worldview change, and for the first time, I was, I was mid to late 20s at that time, for the first time in my life, I stopped and said, wait a second, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, maybe I don't have the answers, maybe I'm actually wrong about some of these things, maybe I'm wrong about what marriage really is, maybe I'm wrong about who I am, maybe I'm wrong about who Linda should be. Maybe I'm wrong about parenting. Maybe I'm wrong about all of this stuff. And I'm telling you, it was a very big moment for me. I feel like, I feel like God said to me, what do you really want out of life? And I've been answering all kinds of other questions except the right question. Do you really want me in your life? Do you really want me here doing what I'm supposed to be doing in your life? And I would always answer what I wanted God to do instead of what, what God was trying to do. So I picked up Thomas Sawyer today, and I was holding him, and he was looking for a food bump all over me. There's no food bumps on me. So he got pretty upset after that. But. So, so here's the question. Here's the question for all of you. Have you... Have you uh, have you ever got to a place, and this is, what, this is why I'm going through all these scriptures, have you ever got to a place where you say, wait a second, I might need to rethink this. I might need to rethink stuff. Pat? Okay. I don't believe in those. Yeah, so the New Living Translation doesn't have it either. And, and the reason is because uh, s some manuscripts, some of the earliest ones that we have don't have that. Some of the later ones we have have that. Um, he here's here's what the way I do something like that is. Um, by the time we get to now, I'm going to include all those things that were there. Um because I don't know where they got it from, when they left it out, when the, if they did leave it out, maybe the earliest ones we have, which are not the earliest manuscripts, left it, didn't, meant to put it in there, but didn't, or some, we have some manuscripts with it, so we're going to keep that in there. Um, and the fact that it says an angel stirred the water, we have to take that, it, it, this is why I said their perception, okay? It says this, that, that their explanation for this was, when an angel stirred the water, they were healed. That's why I said earlier, I, angels don't heal, and so it has to be the Spirit of God or, or, or Jesus himself or something that's doing the healing. But 
it wasn't Jesus in personal form that was doing it because the best that we can tell, this is the first time that Jesus interacts at this pool with these people. Okay, which is actually taking me to a little bit where I want to go with this. So were they being healed with an, without an active hand of God healing them in a visual sense like Jesus or something walking them doing it? Apparently, yes. Apparently there was a passive spirit of God healed them when the water stirred. I, it, this really falls into the category we don't know because it doesn't give us enough details. We don't understand why this is happening. There's, there's a lot of things like this in Scripture where you go, what? Um, this is what I was talking about a couple weeks ago about the Nephilim. That's where there's certain places in Scripture where you go, what? Explain this, Jesus. I need more explanation. But it's not important for us to know or Jesus would explain more. Now, here's an interesting thing with this. Let's, let's, let's go on with this. Um, Sir, someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. He no longer addresses what this guy is talking about. This guy goes into a, 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 um, a discourse about all the reasons he cannot be healed. But that's not what Jesus asked him. And so Jesus immediately changes the subject and says, now uh, walk. Think about some other places in Scripture where Jesus asks a question, they begin to answer something else, and then he brings them right back to truth, right back to reality immediately. There's actually quite a handful of these places. Anything off the top of your head you can think about? Uh, that's a good one. It's not one of the ones I was thinking about. That's a legitimate one where, where they're not sure. They're thinking he's a ghost or everything else. And Jesus immediately speaks to Peter, and, uh, and, and Peter gets out of the boat and walks. Um, woman at the well. Woman at the well is a really easy one. Jesus, she, she starts, he starts addressing the issues in her life. Again, this is exactly, you, 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 you're Paul studying counseling. Corey's a counselor. Liz is studying counseling. Um, you want to know counseling? You read the woman at the well. That is a major counseling psychology thing going on right there, probably more than any other place in the New Testament. Jesus walks up to this woman, begins to deal with her issues, and she starts changing the subject in every single way she can without dealing with what Jesus is saying to her. Talking about worshiping on this mountain and our ancestors and this well and what kind of water are you talking about? You don't even got a bucket. I mean, she's doing everything she can to change the subject. And Jesus brings it right back and says, are you married? Where's your husband's? That's not the way he says it, but he says, you, you've had quite a few. And you're not even married to the guy you're with right now. She's like, oh, you went there. <laughs> you got there quick, Jesus. But then, and she starts going on off all the tangents and all this stuff, and he starts talking about living water. Forget all the stuff you're talking about. I'm telling you about transcendent truth right here. Pay attention. And, and guys, this is where the woman at the well is a good example of the way we can do this. As human beings, we're good at this. And, and, and I'm, again, I'm not, picking, I'm not picking on us when I say this. I, I, have, I have spent years and years and years and years in counseling with people, and, and nobody answers the right questions at first. Nobody does. Everybody changes subjects, Gordon. I think so, too.
I really do believe that's what's going on. I believe there's a little cat and mouse going on with that conversation. She's doing it on purpose, he's doing it on purpose, and they both know it. Um, but I think she's trying to see, at, at the end, she's the mouse and she's hoping there's a, an out. She's hoping it doesn't get to where it gets to, and when it finally gets to where it gets to, she sobers up and he addresses the issues. <clears throat> no. Right. And, and the, 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 that's, why, that's why Jesus brings it right back very quickly. Because he doesn't necessarily need this guy to dig a hole for himself. He's, he's there to give him life. He's there to heal him. He's not there to make him feel bad, condemning, call him an idiot or something like that. What about when the woman's brought in adultery and all the, the guys come with her and say, okay, you need to, aren't you supposed to um, condemn her? She's supposed to die for this, right? And even as he's writing in the sand, I don't think, again, what I think he's writing is I think he's writing their sins. And I think he starts with the oldest and works his way down to the youngest. Why? You ever wondered why he starts with the oldest and goes to the youngest? Yes, that's how they left, which is why I think that's why he did it that way. I mean, that's what he's doing. So why, why does he want the older ones to leave first? Well, I don't think he wants anybody to leave. I think he wants them to say, wow, that's me, I repent. But that didn't happen. Um, they just walk away. Okay? Why does he start with the older instead of the younger? Any idea, Marshall? I, I, didn't, I can't hear you. Yes. That's exactly what he's doing. And here, here's another big thing. This is the authority issue that he's dealing with here, is he wants the younger ones to see. By the time it gets to their sin and they realize, oh, he's writing our sins down. Now they run back up the ladder to all of those other guys. And it lets the younger guys know that the older guys are just like them. If the younger guys would have walked away first, how would they have known? They would have assumed that Jesus um, just, just dealt with them. But when the older guys walk away, they know that the younger guys have these issues. Younger guys don't always think the older guys have these issues. You understand the difference? We, at, when you're younger, you can revere certain older guys and assume that they are better or more holy or they perfected this. Okay? Um, we, we were at... We were at a men's breakfast the other day, and these are this is uh, my Thursday morning group, which means they're all older guys. And um, and one of the guys said something about, well, I guess they had just got he he he's mid sixties. He's talking about somebody like in their eighties, and he said, well, I guess it had just got to a point where they're they don't they're not sexually attracted uh, in the same to a woman the same way. I'm trying to say it in the right way. They they don't. They don't do that anymore. And all the guys at the table kind of looked at him, and now I'm interested because I'm just a wee little lad compared to these guys. When does that happen? When does it? And we looked around the room, and uh, Jerry Tuttle, who's 82, said, well, I don't know when it happens. <laughs> so, whew, at least I got till 82, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, when the coffin closes. Um, so, so the idea that somehow those guys are special, and I think that's what's going on too. And Jesus cuts straight to the heart of this. But he doesn't even do it with words then. He just sits down and starts writing. 
says, you guys can say whatever you want. Let's get to the real deal. And, and I, again, I don't think that he was even trying to condemn those guys as he's writing in the sand. I don't think he's trying to condemn them. But what he's saying is, if you, if you want to bring things to the table, let's make it the same for everybody. You want to bring stuff to the table, let's do it. If he was going to condemn them, he would have made them stay there, or he would have called them out by name. See, when he, the first three or four guys that walk away, nobody knows for sure maybe what's going on. Maybe they think, well, that guy just got bored fast, you know, until after a few guys are like, oh, that's what's happening. And Jesus doesn't condemn anybody. He never says to them, the individuals. And then when they're all gone, he doesn't condemn the, the woman either. But here's the interesting thing. He doesn't shy away from the truth. He cuts straight to the heart of it. What's the first thing he says to her? Where's your accusers? So he's first saying, accusing was happening. Let's, uh, let's deal with that first. Nobody's accusing you of anything now. But then he says to her, go and sin no more. He's not saying she wasn't sinning. He's saying, look, I, I didn't come to this planet to condemn. That's what uh, John 3, 17 says. I didn't come to condemn. I did come to convict, but I didn't come to condemn. Condemn says you have no hope. Convict says the reason I'm telling you is because there's hope. That's the cool thing about conviction that I didn't understand years ago, and I get it now. That when, when Jesus convicts me, I don't, I'm not saying I like it now, but when Jesus convicts me, that proves to me that he cares enough to try to fix some things in my life. Condemnation says you're done. There's no hope for you. Mike, did you have something you wanted to? Yeah. Now, I've often wondered, I've often wondered, maybe you have wondered this too. What happened if one of them would just started throwing rocks at her? I think he would, hopefully he would have done more than talking. I'd like to have seen him just knock them out. Or, or you know, maybe grab the stones in midair and throw them back. That's how I'd do it. All right, so then instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began to walk. By this miracle, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time with that, but it's always interesting that when Jesus really does stuff, um, it seems to be that the church struggles with it the most. That's, that really is the reason. And again, back to the power, the authority, all that kind of stuff, the church doesn't like to lose that. So... So the law doesn't allow you, but the man replied, okay. The man didn't know. They said, who did this? The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. All right? But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are, now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Now, there's two things, two major things going on here that, I, that I've, I've studied before. I've looked at books, discussions, all kinds of things, and I want to address both of them. Um, the, 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 I will do the second one first. Now you are well, so stop sinning. Something even worse may happen to you. I've seen theologians take that and say the reason that the guy was sick for 38 years is because he 
had been sinning. That is not what Jesus said there. Jesus did not say, you were sick because you sinned. Now don't sin or it'll happen again. What he says is, now you're well. Stop sinning because we're all sinners. This guy's a sinner. This guy, just because Jesus healed him didn't mean he repented of his sins. But Jesus says to him, stop sinning or something worse can happen to you. Why? What does he mean there? Yes, if you keep sinning, what potentially, now there's the eternal and the, the temporal, and I think there's both that we deal with. The first is the, the eternal. He's saying if you don't stop sinning, you think it was bad being sick for 38 years on this earth, wait till you get to hell. Okay, that's the first thing that he's dealing with, the eternal. But I think he's also dealing with the temporal, which, which means um, sickness or, or disease or whatever can be included. Worse things can happen to you if you uh, keep sinning. Why, Shauna? Yes, that, that is the, that's the big answer. Specifically for this, I think there are consequences specifically for this guy because Jesus just healed him. And then he says, you, you come to me and you're thanking me, let me tell you, I'm the guy who addresses the sin. The healing is a small thing compared to the sin issues. I'm the guy that healed you. Don't disrespect that. Don't disrespect the power of the Holy Spirit that worked through me to heal you. Don't play around with the gift that you have been given. Or that opens a door for Satan to mess with you. That's the temporary that leads to the eternal. Do you understand? This is what I've talked about when it comes to, um, to uh, communion. It says don't take communion unworthily or you, or you could get sick or even die. Why? Because communion is about healing. Spiritual healing and physical healing. When you take that communion and say, I believe in this, but you're, but you're playing around with it, you're saying spiritually, I'm opening the door for this to be in my life, but I'm not taking it seriously, which means Jesus' blood is not covering me, but I'm, but I'm acting like it is. And Satan says, okay, you want to open spiritual doors? I'm going to nail you with this. And specifically on physical healing. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 11 that that they can get sick or even die, and it's specifically talking about taking communion unworthily. I believe in your blood covering. Are you covered with his blood? No. But you're doing something to represent that in your life. That's a spiritual endeavor. And Satan says, okay, you want to play games? I, I, I love this. You open the doors, I'll walk through them. It's the same thing that, this guy, that Jesus is telling this guy. I just healed you, and I'm giving you a chance to, to let your life uh, uh, glorify me. Stop sinning. Put God first in your life or you're going to allow Satan to mess with you even worse because you're taking what God has done and you're playing games with it. Now, let's bring that to right now. I've done this in my own personal life where Jesus says, th this, is, this is where I think it even comes to with things like God's giftings, God's blessings in your life. When you play around with this stuff, you're letting Satan manipulate you. You're letting Satan play you. Because you're saying, 
God, I recognize. Now, I don't think it always works the same if, if, if you haven't recognized this or you see it or whatever the case is. But this is, this is why as a, um, <clears throat> you understand when the prodigal came back to the, to the home, it wasn't the same. It was similar, but it wasn't the same as the son that had stayed there. You understand that, right? Okay. But what are some of the differences? He was now, now the older son was in charge of all of this stuff. The younger son was not. And it doesn't say God gave, uh, the father gave the son uh, all new inheritance again and said, you're the same. He said, let's party. The son's come back to us. He's part of us again. But here's an interesting thing. The son comes back and says, I'll be a servant. And the father says, no, you're one of the family. But he doesn't ever, in the story, because it would really mess with us too much. We would parse it too much, I believe, is why God doesn't do this. But in the story, we don't know the arrangement that the son has when he comes back with the father or with the older son. But we do know the older son, it's his household now. All right. Now, I do believe, we've got to be careful with this, because I do believe when the prodigal comes back, the forgiveness is the same, all this other kind of stuff. But I also know that when you squander th- certain things in your life, you can't always recoup those things. Okay? I've had this conversation with a lot of people in prison. They believe when they get saved in prison, the, the, prison, the prison guards and the, the warden should recognize this and let them out of prison. But I'm a Christian now. Okay? You're a Christian in prison. Yeah. Society still has consequences for what you did. Jesus forgave you and erased the slate, but you still are a human in human society, and you've got to deal with it. Okay? So it's the same kind of thing. So we, we see where um, Jesus tells this guy, don't, I'm adding obviously to this, but don't play around with what I've done here. Recognize what has happened and walk accordingly. Pay attention and walk accordingly. And again, coming back to giftings and things like that, and, and I, believe, I, I believe this deals even with us right here at Church of Briargate on a very core level. I think there's a lot of things that we as, a, as individuals within the group that we can be doing for God, for the kingdom of God, and, and even including um, Church at Briargate that we're not doing. And God says, I gave you these gifts for a reason. I gave you these gifts to be doing this in your workplace, to be, to be glorifying me with your talents and your abilities, to be living for me. Stop playing around, stop sinning, or things could get bad for you. Not because God's doing this, but because you're opening doors and saying, God, you, this is why, let me, I, I'm a musician, so this is the way I think about this stuff. This is why, as a musician, I think, God gives musicians the ability to do what they do. <clears throat> I don't think um, it's just um, happenstance. I believe that God gives them the ability to do this. If they don't use it for God, it's interesting how easily their lives can be completely messed up. Right? And messed up on drugs, messed up on alcohol, suicide, all these other things. Because God has given them a gift. This, this is what the average person can't understand. And this deals with anybody, not just musicians. But they work so hard to become famous musicians, and they finally reach the, what they're looking for from our perspective, and then they commit suicide. Have you ever wondered why? Here's the reality. 
I can tell you as a musician that the fame, the money, not that I've experienced that part, but the fame and the money and all that stuff will not satisfy the longing that you have when you're making music and that you're putting these things and you're emoting musically, lyrically, and all these other kind of things. You're chasing something that is spiritual and ethereal and you can never capture. And I've said this to musicians many times over the years when they're talking about, yeah, you know, it's, a, it's about the live show. You ask any musician, it's about the live show. It's about being on stage and playing the music and, and people connecting and listening and hearing and all this other kind of stuff. It's about that moment. It's not about what that moment brings. It's about that moment. And I've said this to many musicians over the years. You're still coming up a little bit short. Why? Because that moment was designed to be in the presence of God and glorifying God in that moment. Not you, not the music itself, not something else. That's, those are byproducts. It's about the moment of that. And I told him, I said, as a musician, I can tell you because I've, I've done both sides. Leading worship and, and the Spirit of God moving and everybody connecting with that is what God intended musicians to be doing. That's what he made them for. And you will never, you will never capture that feeling, that something, until you get there. And once you get there, you've reached what you're actually getting to. And so then it's not about the money or the fame or whatever. And that's, and it's, you're not going to kill yourself and stuff like that. You're not going to become drug addict or alcohol or something else because you're reaching what God has created you to do. And, and this goes across any kind of giftings, any kind of anything. And, and we're all different with this. We're, we're all different. But there's that moment when you go, yeah, nailed it. That's what I'm made for. I, I, was, I was having this conversation with my son the other day. He loves building computers. And he was doing all this and designing this, and he finally gets his computer put together, and he's just standing there looking at it. For like 30 minutes, he stood there and looked at it. And it's got all these lights. It doesn't look like your computer, okay? It's got all kinds of lights and layers. It's, it's actually a water-cooled computer. It has a radiator with water and, and, and lights, and the ch lights change according to what his keyboard's doing. It's all glass. All this, and he's just standing there looking at it. I said, it's good. And, like, and you could tell at that moment, I nailed it. It's those moments when you know this is how God's designed you. It's how he's hardwired you. You're doing this. You're connecting. You're, you're whatever, people, circumstances, tools, whatever, technology, however God's designed you. But this is the reality is he's designed you to do this with him partnering with you. He's supposed to partner with us in this thing co-create with us. And then when we get there and we nail it, and then we go, yeah, that, that, this, that's what this is about. That's what life is about. That's what is, I'm doing this in God, not just doing this. I'm doing this in God. You understand the difference? I had a pastor, a friend of mine, that was a, a pilot that used to talk about this every now and then. Was He said, I would never feel closer to God than when I'd be up in the plane in the clouds. Now, some of you, that you would be farther from God at that moment than anywhere, right? <laughs> um, my wife used to be horrible about flying and taking off and landing and stuff like that, but she just takes a lot of drugs now, and she doesn't know where she's at, so 
It's all good. But, uh, I mean, we're all different with that, right? We're, we're all different. How this looks, how, how God's wired us, how he's designed us, all these different kind of things. This, when we can get to a place where we're saying, God, I'm doing this with you, I'm doing this within you, then we can get to the place where this guy, God is telling this guy, Stop sinning. Stop all the stupid stuff. Stop, the, stop bringing all the, the, the junk and the baggage and the evil and all the stuff to the table. You don't need that stuff. Leave all that stuff to the side. Just you and God, and that's what life is about. That's when you're, that's when you're in, your, in, your, um, in your wheelhouse. That's when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. That's when you're satisfied. That's when there's purpose. That's when there's direction. That's when those other stuff is when you leave all the stuff leave all the sin, the, the, the way Paul says it is the stuff that so easily trips us up. He says this in, in Romans 12, the sin that so easily trips us up. Leave it, leave it, leave it. You don't need it. Satan thinks, tells you, and you think you need it, but you don't. Get in, get in your wheelhouse. Get in the middle of where God is with you and, and serve God there and do what God has told you to do in that. Regardless of what you're doing, that's, that, that's just part of how God's hardwired you. There are things in here where if you said, you know what, this is when I'm really, I know I'm in, I'm tracking with God. Others of us in here would go, okay, I'll have to take your word for it because we're not wired that way. We don't think that way. I, I love it. I've mentioned this before. I am very, very jealous of artists whether they can draw or I've been watching um, Nick um, stare and he just got accepted to Disney University to be an artist for, for Dis at Disney University, like an intern kind of thing. If you, if you, if you haven't seen his stuff, he's, he's putting it on Facebook. He's doing all these drawings and doing all this kind of stuff. The kid is talented beyond normal artist talent. He, he, he's way beyond normal. He's, he's in that, wow, you drew that place. And he's been doing some sculpting and things like that. I am so jealous of that. I can't do that at all. And I've always wanted to. I see a painting and I go, I wish I could do that. I wish I could draw that. I wish I, I, wish I can't. And, and I'm horribly jealous of that. Well, here's the deal, and, and, and I've talked to Nick about this, and, and I will again, but Nick has a responsibility to God to take this and lock it in with God and say, God, I'm following you with this. I'm going to draw amazing stuff as your servant to glorify you, to do God's stuff. He, he, he wants to draw for video games and things like that, and I think that's cool. I don't think that's outside the scope of God. I think it could be. <laughs> Some of the video games I see sometimes, you're like, what? But, but can he do that in the scope of God? Sure he can. He, but he's got to figure that out. And if he does that right, there'll be, a, there'll be a peace and there'll be a purpose and there'll be a, a, um, a profoundness in his spirit. If he doesn't, there'll always be a longing. There'll always be something unsettled. There'll always be that missing thing. Even... And this is the part that even as Christians, we don't get this. As Christians, we think just because we're Christians and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, that that's the same thing. It's not. You've got to be intentional 
am I doing this in God? Am I, am I being a plumber in God? You say, can you do that? Can you do that? You can do that. And you know the difference. Now let me come back to a musician. I've, I've, I've done, I know the difference. I'm, I've led worship before that had nothing to do with God. It wasn't anti-God. I wasn't worshiping Satan. I wasn't trying to attack God. I just hadn't really included him. And I know the difference in the two. There's a, there's a vast difference between that and the Holy Spirit coming and residing in the middle of that and saying, let's do this. Let's do this together. Right? So I want to ask the question. Well, we're, we won't have time. Because if I ask the question, then Tom's going to ask another question at the end. And, or, <laughs> and we're going to be till 930. So, um, so, so this is the question I want to ask week after next. Okay? Um, a surprise. You guys want me to tell you? You know why I hesitate telling you? Tell me why I hesitate telling you. Because there's something about the pastor's not speaking, I'm not coming. I'm not answering the question. But the reason I'm avoiding the question is because of you guys. Shelby is speaking next week. That's, you're, you're supposed to come because she's bringing the word of God. She's setting the table with the word, not chicken. But whatever, I would be here too. If you, if you bring food, I don't care who's speaking. I'm there. So, um, yeah, you should, you should still want to be here. All right. so, um, so week after next, I want to I ask this question. I've already asked it a couple of times. But what is a major time in your life when you, when you said, wait a second, I've got to think about this differently? Or God just split open what you were thinking and, and you realized, I'm wrong. This is not right. This is not okay. Okay. So we won't answer that question tonight. Let's, uh, let's pray. So of everything that we've been talking about tonight, how are you going to pray? What's in your spirit? What's moving around in your head? That's a, that's a big prayer. That's a huge prayer. That's an, that's an open-ended prayer. I pray that all the time, and I think, I think for me personally, I, I really sincerely pray that, and I really sincerely want God to do that. But I think my, my batting average there wouldn't make the major leagues. Right? Don't, don't tell me about the Rockies, by the way. I'm, I'm recording it at home. I want to watch it fresh. I don't... I don't want to know if they're winning or losing right now, okay? Shh. So, da, da, da. No, they're not playing the Indians. Indians, Indians are the other league. So, so I, I pray that, and, I, and then I realize as I'm praying that I'm not really good at it. Anybody else? You, you there? I pray, God, I really want your will. And God says, okay, how about, no, 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 God, that's too much, too fast. So that's, that's legitimate. I think that's a good starting place. Should be a starting place for all of us. Anybody else? God's stirring your spirit and you're saying, this is, 
This is what God's doing. I, I need to pray this. This one. You're telling me to focus? <laughs> Why don't you shut up? How about that? Oh, yeah. So I'm starting, not a series, but I'm starting a few sermons that all work together starting this weekend. This weekend I'm talking about the joy of the Lord, but then over the next two weeks I'm talking about prayer and how prayer has to be an intentional focus thing. It has to be. Um, God's really been convicting me of that a lot lately, is spending, not just spending time with Him, I do that, but spending intentional focused, quality time with no distractions. No distractions. That's, that's good. And you got the commercial. Anything else? How's, how's God moving in your spirit? Let's pray into this. Yes, ma'am. The scripture, those that are worshiping must worship him with spirit and in truth. That's what that means. All right. Okay, let's pray. God, we, we come before you knowing that, that uh, we really are flawed in a lot of different ways. And Lord, you still accept us. You still, more than accept us, Lord, you actually um, chase after us. You, you, you desire relationship with us. Um, you, you try to show us you at all times. And Lord, we're, we're amazed by that. We're humbled by that. Lord, get past all this stuff in our world and our lives and help us to really see you. God, I don't, I, I don't want the stuff to determine my relationship with you. I don't want my own baggage to determine my relationship with you. I want to worship you in spirit and in truth. I want to come before you with no distractions, no, no nothing, Lord God, and just, just put myself before you and it's just you and me. Lord, I pray that for every one of us in here that we would realize that you have divinely created us, that we're very unique, we're very special. And Lord, we, we really, we fight that, we resist that, the knowledge of it and then the, 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 the pragmatism of that. Lord, we, we push against it. And so Lord, I ask you to help us, convict us. Lord, know, help us to know we're not being condemned, but you're trying to draw us closer to you. And Lord, we need that, we want that, we, we want that. And uh, Lord, if there's anybody in here that isn't sure about that yet, they're not, they don't know for sure if they really want you to, to be in charge. God, help us all to realize that, that we're scared of something that's actually good for us. We're intimidated by something that's actually beneficial. And it's your spirit, your presence, your closeness, your conviction. So cover us with your blood, Lord Jesus. Draw us in close. And uh, Lord, help us to, to see your healing hand. Help us to see all the things that you're trying to do and, and how you're wanting to do it. And Lord, we, we thank you. Change our thinking. Wherever we are, change our thinking. Help us to think more like you, less like ourselves in the name of Jesus. We thank you so much. Lord, we, we do lift up all of the families, the people that were in Vegas. 
And there, Lord, we know there's a lot of hurting people right now, a lot of hurting people. God, your spirit is big. Your grace is big. And we lean on you when, when things don't make sense. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Bye-bye.